0: This week, a young woman goes on a journey in a magical, traveling lighthouse. It's a surreal, dreamy, and beautiful kind of show, rich in mythic potential and expressivity. It's the Far Meridian, and this is Radio Drama Revival. Hey folks, welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your host, David Reinstrom. When this episode comes out, I will be attending the first-ever PodCon in Seattle, Washington. I'm so excited to hang out with other creators in this community, and I'll be bringing my recorder, so if we have any good conversations, you'll be sure to hear them. So watch this space. Now, for this week's feature. It's the story of an agoraphobic young woman named Hesperia, who lives in a lighthouse overlooking a cliff. But one day, everything starts to change for Perry. This is the Far Meridian a meditative and imaginative exploration of identity, love, mental illness, memory, friendship, adventure, and growth. I love it. I think it's really cool, and drifty, and dreamy, and smart, and I hope you like it too. After the feature, you'll hear an interview with Eli Barraza, the series creator and the voice of Perry. But for now, enjoy episode one of The Far Meridian, The Outside.
1: Turned off the... Ugh. Come on. I just replaced this charger. Why are you dead? Stupid, sketchy online store. Last time I ordered from you people who know it was on a discount camera. Light too? Wait. What? This isn't a blackout? Ugh, you're kidding. Yes, up We appliances are joking about not working. It must be April Fool's Day.
2: Ha 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 ha. Ugh.
1: And the laptop is now just an expensive piece of metal and plastic. (sighs) Okay. Okay, okay. Um, uh, Monday. Second Monday of the month. Grocery day. So, Jordan, the grocery guy, will be here soon, so he'll know what's going on. And maybe while he helps take out the trash, the power will turn back on again. Okay. Cool. Just wait until then. I can do that. (sighs) I have no sense of time. It's been a while though, right? I'm gonna open the door and Jordan's gonna be walking up the path. And he's gonna have milk. And eggs. He'll say hello. I'll nod. And he'll ask how I'm doing, like always. And I will smile. Then he'll say that there's been a blackout, but they're working on it, and... Uh, what? It's not real. That's, that's not real. I... The cliffs aren't there. The ocean isn't there. (coughs) 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 This isn't happening. This can't be happening. But what if it is, Perry? Oh, my gosh. Stop pretending to be the curtains. I'm either hallucinating or that that dust bowl outside is real. One more window to check. Just one more window. Ha! Uh, But I can't go up there. Not sure if Ace would be cool with me going into his room. Though, he isn't here, is he? Maybe I could just go straight through to get up to the light room. Yeah, no lingering. Just up to the light room to check the surroundings. I can do that. I can't do this. Where does fall come from when you're in a desolate wasteland? It's like the night brought a blanket of gray. I have a little light to fight. Against the night For me it gets its might Happy I found you, Guillermo No electricity means no lamps when the sun goes down Or vanishes in fog, as the case may be You should probably look for the old camping lights when there's daylight Maybe I won't need to, Mo Maybe I'll wake up tomorrow, like Alice waking from a dream But didn't she keep going back to Wonderland? Oh, be quiet, or I'll blow you out, st- stupid candle. <sighs> hmm. Gosh. <clears throat> oh gosh. <clears throat> Candle on the counter. Mo. The blackout wasn't a dream. Oh no. Oh no 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 no. It's it's a jungle hut, there, Mo. There's a jungle and. Oh, my heart attack! That's the biggest butterfly I've ever seen! Oh, wow! Well, look at that! It's bedtime already? Time to hide under the covers and ignore the world outside? Yep, sounds about right! The time for a bed is arbitrary. When do you have no clocks? And right after waking up is the perfect time for bed, I think. Mm-hmm. Is it more sad to have stale crackers for breakfast or nothing at all? day six and the fog birds off to reveal hills and tall grass the breeze almost makes it look like the ocean back home but it's not an undulating blue with the black dots of ships on the water instead it's all a desaturated brown with pockets of green bushes. think I could throw out the garbage here Mo I mean it's not exactly great for the environment but I am going to throw up from the smell pretty soon. I am going to take your silence as a disapproving yes. All right, moment of truth. Gonna open the door and take out the trash. Take out the trash. Come on, fairy, take out the trash. Take out the trash. Take out the trash. Take out the trash and don't think about the grass. Take out the trash. Take out the trash. Take out the trash and forget about the hills. (laughs) Okay. On the count of three, toss it just straight out. No need to take a step outside. You have a fairly decent sense of balance. You're not going to tumble out. (sighs) On the count of three. One. Two. Three! Oh my gosh, I did it! Oh my gosh, I, I, I took out the trash—or as near as taking out the trash as I've done in years. Score! Half five, Perry.
2: Oi, you! Oh no! You just tossed your trash out onto this field. Nope. <laughs> Shy are we? Well, that's
0: nothing to be ashamed of. So, your lighthouse from a ways off, and I figured I'd be neighborly and stop by. My apologies, didn't mean to cause you a scare. Just wanted to let you know that there's a trash bin a ways off where you could properly get rid of that stuff. Well, alright then. If you ever feel like coming out, I'm just over that hill. I can show you where the bin is and uh, make you some hot cocoa or tea. No coffee, as I'm not fond of the hard stuff. Anyway. <clears throat> I hope you stop by, neighbor. <laughs> Apologies, <laughs> forgot to tell you my name. Sawyer. Just Sawyer. Used to be Justice Sawyer. Anyway, I'll take your bag on my way for you. Hope to meet you face to face.
1: That was a disaster. They sounded perfectly nice to me. But they interrupted what I was doing, Moe. You already took out the trash, Perry. What's the big deal? The big deal is that I don't know where I am. I don't know who they are, and I am, I am hanging by a thread right now. <laughs> you think I should have spoken to them? They don't teach stranger danger for nothing. <sighs> I'm sorry. I'm handling this all wrong. I mean... I don't think anyone would know what to do if their home started to show up every which way every day, but at least they probably know how to take out the trash, right? And how to talk to people. How to ask for help. Mo, <sighs> well, tomorrow, I am going to take a step outside. And then, the day after... I'm going to take two steps, and then three, and then who knows? Maybe I'll even smile at someone and say hello. And then I'll get groceries for myself for once. If I end up somewhere with a grocery store. I really do need to figure out this whole food thing, but I'll be okay. I think I can do that. I think I can be okay.
3: far meridian created and written by eli barraza directed and produced by misha stanton performed by eli barraza as perry and julian monday as sawyer music by the album leaf for more information and links to support the show go to the or find us on social media at the far meridian episode two is live in your feed right now until then may you always find your way We wanted to give you
0: a sense of the scope of the Far Meridian, because the fog rolls in, the fog rolls out, and the lighthouse ends up somewhere new. So Eli and show producer Misha sent us a second episode to play for you today. Here's episode two, Overpass.
3: You can open your eyes, you know.
1: I'm not opening them until we're back home.
3: What are you gonna do? Walk around the city with your eyes closed?
1: Not much to see there anyways. Just fake tans and people's dead in dreams.
3: Well, there's the pier. Official end of the mother road.
1: We have a pier.
3: Not one with a ferris wheel on it.
1: I'm afraid of heights.
3: We live on the side of a cliff.
1: No, we live 100 feet away from the side of a cliff.
3: What about the food? They'll actually have good Mexican places.
1: Cool. Now I get to embarrass myself with my terrible Spanish.
3: Would you just open your eyes already?
1: And do what? Stare at all the oil fields passing by? Hundreds of those pumps moving up and down. Up and down. Riveting.
3: Come on. It's visual poetry. Up and down, over and over, across the flat expanse of burnt yellow telephone poles and wires framing the husk of scenery. Up and down. Up and down.
1: I prefer tides. Back and forth instead of up and down.
3: You're impossible. Seriously, open your eyes, Perry. I need you to keep a lookout for signs.
1: No. We can get lost for all I care.
3: Seriously, Hesperia. Open
1: Ace? gonna need to figure out this whole food issue. Can't live on Cheerios forever. Holy moly. That's a tall overpass. No lurkers? Cool. Got my shoes on, got my socks on, got my jacket, got my nerves of steel. Pretending to have nerves of steel? Okay, here we go. Here... Taking a step, now I am taking a step, taking a step, lifting my foot, and... Holy, that lady just, oh, okay, is she okay? Come on, Perry, she just fell off. Oh, of course she's not okay. Should call for help. No, phone doesn't work. Go and check on her. Okay, just, just run over and check. Maybe somebody else will. There's nobody else. Okay, there, there's a lot of steps to get over there. Way more than I had planned. God damn it, woman! Someone just fell off a wall. Okay, go. Hey, um, you okay? I saw you falling. Wow. Okay, I'm not gonna look at your leg
2: right now. <sighs> okay. Shock's taking care of uh, most of the pain. I'm just a little uh, dazed. Uh, all right.
1: Um, uh, do you have a phone? Uh, maybe we should
2: call. Um, someone. no, no, it's fine. I'm fine. I'll walk it off. I don't think this is this is just something you can walk off. Ooh!
1: Oh boy, there it is. <sighs> I'm getting dizzy. No 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 no. You stay conscious with me right here. Uh, what's your name? People call me Joni. Alright, Joni. Um, can I check your bag for a phone? No. Well, you need medical attention, so I'm going to ignore you and grab this. <laughs> <clears throat> Um, hi? There's an injured woman here. Uh, I think her leg is broken and she needs help uh, real fast. Uh, they want to know where we are. Screw you. That's rude. Okay, fine. This phone looks fancy enough to have the GPS function. Uh, beep boop, There are the maps. Whoops. So it goes into the call there. Okay, and... Oh, there we are. Hello? Hi. Yeah, I'm still here. Um, we're under the, the Highway 52, just, um, just west of that huge junction. Yeah. Yeah, that's a side street. They want me to stay on the phone, is that cool?
2: No, it is not effing cool. I told you not to call them in the first place.
1: Why do you not want...
2: Oh. Hmm,
1: that's not you and this driver's license.
2: Oh! Get it now, dipshit.
1: Why? What? Why do you have this back?
2: Because I stole it.
1: No, I mean... Why are you stealing?
2: Why the fuck do you want to know?
1: Well, because you talking kind of stops me from entering a full-on freakout, which... I'm... I'm shocked hasn't happened yet. Oh, shock. I'm probably in shock right now.
2: Oh my god, then why don't you just leave if you're gonna freak out?
1: Because you're... you're supposed to help people in trouble, right?
2: I told you, I'm fine.
1: Ah! Sweet Jesus! I think those are the words someone says when they're in trouble. Do you need to hold my hand or anything?
2: I'm not having a baby. Oh dear God, this is what they mean by tunnel vision.
1: Right. Okay. Um. Well, let's uh, let's keep you awake. Um. Talk. Yeah. Uh. Stay conscious by talking. About what? Um. About what I just asked you. The stealing stuff.
2: It makes me happy. Okay. Happy. Yeah.
1: Okay, you, you gotta give me more than that, Joni. Why does, why does stealing make you happy?
2: <sighs> Not the stealing, really. It's the falling. I like running and finding places to climb and jump and
1: fall. Hmm. Well, it sounds, sounds more like an acrobat than a thief.
2: I got good at it, and when you're good at something like that where I come from, it's easy to get good at taking stuff. But it's always been the falling. If I could fall forever, I would. I'd never have my feet touch the ground. I can't imagine wanting that. (laughs) Falling isn't so bad. It's the landing that's difficult. Doing what I do, you after a while i sort of connected the feeling of falling with the taking so i kept doing it it's like gravitational debauchery you just get sucked in and you don't really care you like it even but eventually you end up hitting concrete i'm good with the tucker roll i don't drop shit I go with my momentum as soon as I'm back on the ground. I admit I've scraped knees and twisted ankles, but that shit's fixable. Unpleasant, but fixable. I thought I'd always get off scot-free. But clearly I was wrong. I landed. Wrong. And now your leg is broken. It's not just my leg. My whole body feels these waves of pain. Making me pay for every bit of pleasure I took all at once. And you were right. Talking is the only thing keeping the full tsunami at bay. But it's gonna crash, though. As soon as those sirens sound and they put me on that stretcher, I'm not gonna be able to move anymore. Once they find that bag, I'm never gonna move again.
1: I don't think you'd go to jail. Or, if you did, not not that long.
2: You don't get it. People like me don't get up from things like this. I never planned on moving upward, I don't know how to do that. And I'm fine with not knowing how to do that so long as I can keep moving, even if it's downward. You know... There's a
1: place you can fall forever without hitting anything.
2: For me? A little too late for that.
1: No, I mean, it's it's a crazy long shot, and you'd have to figure out how to move up. Like, really up. Like, above the Earth up. You get into orbit, that's falling forever without ever hitting the ground. That's what you want, right? You like the feeling of falling? Figure out a way to get up there.
2: There's no up there for me, lady.
1: Joni, I haven't been this far outside of my house for years. You get that? If I can run across the street, you bet your bottom dollar you can get all the way up there. And if you think that I don't actually believe that, I will leave this bag here. I'll make sure they know you're a thief and you're never going to fall again.
2: Are you threatening me? To what? To do better?
1: Apparently I am. Though, to be perfectly honest, I have no idea what's coming out of my mouth right
2: now. I'm not going to ignore my own reality. Don't. That's
1: what I did for years, and it's pretty terrible. Work with what you've got.
2: You make sure they don't find that bag? Fine. I'll try, or whatever.
1: Yes, and uh, I understand that you are probably just saying this, so I'll get rid of the evidence, but I don't care. You do you, Joni.
2: What a weird way of helping people, lady.
1: Probably mail the bag back to the owner. Hmm. Another day, I think. If I don't starve off of the Cheerios first. Whew. I'm gonna... I'm gonna stare off into the void for a little while.
3: The Far Meridian Created and written by Eli Barraza Directed and produced by Misha Stanton Performed by Eli Barraza as Perry, Noah Gildermaster as Ace, and Michelle Agresti as Joni. Production help from Zach Valenti, Music by the Album Leaf. For more information and links to support the show, go to thefarmeridian.com or find us on social media at the We'll be back in two weeks. Until then, may you always find your way.
1: A product of the Whisper Forge.
0: Story brought to life. Next up, an interview. But first, a short break to pay the bills. Oh, yeah, welcome back. Show creator Ile Barraza joins me for a talk about the origins of the show, Gentle Encouragement Mondays, and how magic is just around the corner. Take a listen. Ile Barraza, welcome to Radio Drama Revival.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my goodness.
0: It is such a pleasure. Uh, so Eli, you've written on Tumblr that The Far Meridian is a piece of magic realist fiction. And I know that genre isn't necessarily the be-all, end-all determiner of a work. But how have you let that style influence you?
1: Well, I, I what I really love about magical realism is that these sort of fantastical things are treated – I don't quite want to say every day – Um, but they're just so interwoven into the reality of the story. And I think that's a really special, like, tone that you achieve kind of writing with that genre in mind, because I love the idea that magic is just around the corner or that something, maybe not magic, but something spectacular, you know, you could trip over it almost. Um, so that's really kind of how I personally use the genre to guide in my writing
0: are there specific authors that guided you into magic realism or is it just an aesthetic that you had just kind of absorbed
1: um well there's definitely uh, some like visual pieces of art that I really like that are kind of magical realism um in high school I read the novel um Pedro Paramo by Juan Rufo and that is it's definitely creepy it's far creepier than the Farmeridian is um but I really just loved how it you know there's like all, this incredible texture that's that's achieved by the book and how it it really delves into, you know, like family and the interaction of like what community is um, all within this kind of almost surreal background. I mean, that's why it's magical realism and not quite surrealism. It doesn't go that far, but I feel like there's such interesting texture that can be achieved using it. So that's probably like the big work that first introduced me to what magical realism was.
0: I don't, remember who posted this. I remember I saw it on Twitter and I think it was through Ruben, through um Queer Chicano Chisme, that reposted it that said something about like magic realism is this specifically it was it was basically like you can't you can't tell colonial narratives with magic realism because it's specifically designed to process the trauma of like unspeakable uh, experiences in like Latin American nations. Did you see that? Am I, I didn't.
1: No, I'm a huge fan of *Cruce Cano but I actually haven't seen that. I thing. know.
0: I, I followed. I followed them because you told me about it.
1: He's Reuben. I was absolutely incredible. Um, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, it's definitely born of Latin America, and I the thing that about magical realism, you know, like is it magic? Is it real? And it's very much an example of this very complex identity that is in latin america and i mean obviously it's going to vary from you know country to country region to region so i don't really want to blanket it but you know it's definitely an exploration of of that trauma of where yes you have this incredibly strong influence from you know spanish colonists um, but then you also have indigenous identity and when those two cultures Interact and one overtakes the other and and whatnot. It's 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 very messy, <laughs> and magical realism is messy. You know there it, there's very few clearly defined lines. It's it's definitely more hazy. I would say, um, and it's it's a lot about processing how that impacts your life.
0: Yeah, what what I love about the Far Meridian is that it has that the text itself is a little dense. And I mean that in a good way because that what I mean by that is that it rewards repeat listening. So there's this one magic realist moment. I, I think it's in episode six when Perry brings some, some copies of that flyer for Ace. It says, what does it say? Ace, your sister is looking for you, right? Yes. Uh, and then instead of saying that when Oscar runs the copies, it says the names of every single missing person in the town. And then finally says like, Perry, Ruth is looking for you. And I didn't, like, that didn't strike me until I later learn who the character of Ruth is. And then I was listening, uh, preparing for this interview on my second listen through. And that, like, that stinger on the end of that episode came in and I just, like, had to sit down for a second.
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness.
0: Yeah, no, it was really, it was really cool.
1: Yeah, that episode definitely uh, means a lot to me because it's, it's kind of the first big introduction of that tone where, yes, we have this traveling lighthouse, but because that's... You know, that's kind of the big pill we swallow at the beginning. So we're like, okay, we're already on board. Let's keep going. Right. Um and that episode meant a lot to me because it introduces this new element where it's okay, the world is bigger than we thought it was now. And you know, it's that episode how do I how do I explain it? Um I mean, at the time, you know, she's very nervous to like speak Spanish to this person and she's trying to look for her brother and it kind of exemplified like my own insecurities as well. Um, so that's kind of why the episode means a lot to me, you know, cause my, my dad's from Mexico, uh, but I wasn't really raised interacting with my Mexican heritage very much. Uh, so I was really excited to write that. And I actually, it opened up some really great dialogue with my dad and everything. Um, and I was asking him to like help me translate some of the phrases that we hear in the episode. And so at the end, you know, when he's going through like all the people that are missing at least for, for me to get a little personal, it was kind of like realizing that I was feeling this absence that I hadn't consciously thought about for so long. So that definitely was, you know, a surprisingly important episode to me. And it's nice that you bring it up because I don't feel like it's an episode that people bring up that often.
0: Do you feel like the missing people in that town kind of represent that that gap in your life where you want more of that Mexican heritage to live?
1: Um, I think it, it's definitely an expression of me trying to process that and, you know, uh, kind of work through it and address it. Uh, I mean, but that's that's my own personal interpretation of it. I, I, it's really exciting when people take their own, you know, separate interpretations of my writing. I'm very much like well, I wrote it and here's what I intended it. But if you take away a different meaning, like that's awesome. Like that's, you found something that I didn't even think of. That's incredible. And it becomes then more of a collaborative experience rather than me just, you know, saying words at people.
0: That's very generous. I like that. Um, I have a non-Spanish speaker dialect question for you uh, about that episode. Um, Because, so major caveat, I can kind of read Spanish but I don't speak it. Um I noticed that the voice actor who plays Oscar um kept on talking about the game that the the characters kids were playing where where the little the little children would be uh, an armadillo. And I I assumed that in Mexican Spanish it would be armadillo and that it sounded more like Argentine to me. I, that was just this weird I was like, "Oh, wow, well, I wasn't expecting to hear that accent, but I don't I guess I don't ultimately know enough about, like, the different dialects of, of Spanish in Latin America to really, like, accurately place it together. Yeah,
1: and I mean, unfortunately, I I don't either. Um, to be quite honest, I'm actually kind of trying to teach myself Spanish presently. And I, I noticed that, too. And I'm not entirely sure where that actor is from or what country his Spanish is from. But, I mean, I, I was totally open to it. I thought it was a really great reading. Um,
0: I thought it was a really cute detail and a really cute story.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he really brought it to that whole monologue at, in the booth with him. I was just completely blown away. It was, it was pretty incredible to, you know, hear hear those words really come to life like right in front of me.
0: So how much of you is in Perry and what, what elements of your life inform that character uh, and what are the major divergences?
1: I would say... A big part of me that's in Perry is definitely the anxiety, though my anxiety is far more social. I have a hard time picking up social cues sometimes and people are like, but you come off so natural. And then I tell them, yes, because I've worked for many years on this because I knew it was a problem. But as far as her agoraphobia, I have never really experienced that. I absolutely love going out into the world and exploring. And if I had a traveling lighthouse, I'd be like, yes, let's go. Let's do this. I am here for this. You know, I definitely was that kid who would sneak into abandoned buildings and things like that. Um, But yes, especially the anxiety. And I guess the, the way that she talks to people. I like to think that I'm pretty straightforward like her. You know, very blunt and um just wanting clear communication essentially but yeah I think I would actually get very impatient with her if I knew her in real life I yeah I don't want to claim to be a good person or anything but if I knew Perry I'd be like girl you have a traveling lighthouse what are you doing this is amazing come on go outside you can do it I believe in you but like come on let's let's pick up the pace here but uh yeah no I still I still really care for her obviously but um writing for her is is interesting cuz i'm kind of mean i kind of put the parts that i think are the worst of me in her but the nice thing is that i've kind of figured out that they aren't necessarily the worst parts of me you know what i mean like i, I don't know maybe it, it's like being kinder to yourself where you think that this is this terrible part of your personality but in actuality it ends up being very useful You know, like when she's talking to Lena at the bus stop and she's just asking questions and wanting Lena to go on. And then Lena ends up having this amazing revelation, you know, about her own life. Like that's actually really beautiful and special in a way. So there's like there's a lot of me in there, but also there's definitely some parts that are that are quite different. I also wish I played the violin because (laughs) uh, that was definitely not me playing.
0: When you say that, it reminds me of something that I discovered when Heather and I were doing research for the show which is on your Tumblr, you do Gentle Encouragement Mondays. Oh, it's Monday. Happy Gentle Encouragement Monday. Oh, thank you. Can you explain what that is and why you wanted to start doing that?
1: Well, essentially, uh, as we were developing this show, working on the scripts and everything, I knew that obviously social media is a part of, you know, spreading the word about audio drama. So I started to think about what kind of community that I wanted to foster for The Far Meridian. And, uh... Essentially, it was really important to me that as far as the fandom goes, you know, it's a very safe place in a way, very encouraging. And I thought it'd be really great, uh, considering how terrible 2017 has been for many of us, to have Gentle Encouragement Monday. So if, you know, you're feeling lost and apprehensive and nervous about something, you can message our Tumblr and we will respond with words of encouragement. That was essentially the the conceit of Gentle Encouragement Mondays. We did have to clarify with people that it it's not a day for advice, and that unfortunately I am not a mental health professional. We were getting definitely some very heavy asks regarding Gentle Encouragement Monday, and it's you know it's very much you want to help people, but are you the right person in this moment to help them? So it. It, it was hard. It was definitely hard, but I think now people are really understanding what gentle encouragement Monday is for. It's like, hey, are you nervous for a test? Like, are you making a big change in your life? Like, hey, we are we are here to cheer you on. We're here to tell you that you can achieve it, and it's incredible that you're even making this decision in the first place because that's definitely something hard to do. So yeah, it's uh, I don't know. It's it's a nice little community that we've started to build, which is yeah,
0: it's very sweet. I like it a lot.
1: I am a fan. I'm a big fan of all of our fans. They're so nice.
0: <laughs> so you've, you've written that this story was cooking for a really long time. And when The Far Meridian was first introduced, when it was first released, you did an interview with Misha Stanton, our friend, your director and producer. You told them that the show originated in these drawings and monologues that you'd been doing. What did those drawings look like? What did those monologues sound like?
1: Well, essentially, I would just get bored, and ever since I was a kid, I have always been one to doodle. So I would draw these people, and then I would kind of look at what I drew, and I never really draw with a specific image in mind, usually, with these doodles. It's just kind of what comes out comes out. And then I would start to think, like, what's their story? Are they waiting for someone? Are they on their way to a greater destination? What do other people talk about them? So there's definitely quite a few of the monologues. For example, um, the bus stop was a big one. That was a monologue that I wrote. There are some characters that we haven't seen yet that come to mind. But yeah, I mean, it's it's primarily people. I think um, having difficulties kind of interpreting social cues and like people's facial expressions have it's definitely caused me to draw people's faces a lot so it's kind of like my way to like help my brain process that and figure people out i guess i don't know but yeah so that's that's basically where the monologue started because if you notice like within the show there's definitely kind of a theme of of these big chunks that happen fairly often and then misha was saying hey like we're looking for new shows uh, if you have any ideas, pitch them to me. And I had already been starting to think, like, oh, how can I turn these monologues into something greater? Oh, what if you had a character that traveled around and really elevated these other people's stories throughout their own? And so then that's kind of how the Far Meridian ended up coming to be.
0: Cool. Is the Was the monologue in a fine figure pulled from one of those earlier pieces, too? Or was that just specifically for the show?
1: No. So that one, actually, I wrote a few months ago and it was at a time when I was realizing I didn't have any elders in my life. And I was really feeling that absence of, you know, an elder that I could go to for guidance or to just hang out with, um, you know. So I wrote that with the type of elder that I would like to have in my life. Because I don't have any grandparents now. You know, and and when things get tumultuous, you kind of want to look to someone older than you for help. And I was realizing that, like, yeah, you know, I have my parents and whatnot, but I I didn't really have anyone from the generation above them. So I wrote that, and I was also definitely kind of not feeling very loving towards myself. Uh, I was being very hard on myself. And so I loved the idea of this woman who is being hard on herself, but then has an elder in her life who recognizes that and helps in kind of an indirect way. So that was basically me kind of processing all of this internal emotions and whatnot, which is actually a lot of the farmer Meridian. For the, the monologues that don't start out as drawings, oftentimes they are written because I'm processing something. And it's nice to kind of like take a step back and process something through another character's eyes. Even if they're, you know, different from you, you can still look at it from a safe distance and then with roger his response to that you know as as writers you write about other people and you write about what you think about them and how you perceive them and whatnot and i love the idea of being called out on that of saying oh well you think about other people but do you ever listen to what they have to say about themselves
0: yeah i thought that was very interesting
1: yeah so it was a really satisfying back and forth and uh in college, I took a few like unconventional theater courses and whatnot. And a lot of it was kind of analyzing what is truth and what is theater, what is performance and whatnot. And so that was kind of fun to give a little like nod to my college education. So it was a a very almost cathartic episode to write, I would say.
0: Interesting. And you're one of those damn Emerson kids, aren't you? There's, Another one of them, you, Misha, Danielle, Dan, y'all just everywhere. There's
1: so many of us. And funnily enough, I did not know Misha, Dan, or Danielle at Emerson. I had no idea who they were until podcasting came along.
0: That's really funny.
1: Yeah, we had a lot of mutual friends, actually. um, My friend, Zach, who plays Jack White on Ars Paradoxica, is the one that knew Misha, knew that they were looking for more writers, and got us into contact. Oh, cool. Yeah. It was a very small world.
0: So that's how you first started working on Ars Paradoxica?
1: Yes. It, it was uh, through our friend, Zach. And it, we actually have f- so many mutual friends that it's honestly surprising to everyone involved that we didn't already know each other. And I actually went to a, a show in LA that Misha did the sound design for a month before I met them. Oh, The Wizard of Oz? No, it was um, Judgment of Fools with Ammo Theater, which is an absolutely amazing theater group. But, um, yeah, they they mentioned that I think Arjun Gupta was going to be involved in Ars Paradoxica. And I was like, oh, that's so crazy. Like, I met him recently at this show that I had a friend in. And they were like, wait, was it Judgment of Fools? And it was just, you know, mind-blown sort of moment. Like, what? We were probably feet away from each other at one point.
0: <laughs> that's that's really cute. Yeah.
1: I really can't picture, like, not knowing them now. It's, it's wild to me, that, like, how not long I've known them.
0: <laughs> when... Um, just like generally when I listen to the show it has this really dreamy feel to it how do you and Misha work together to achieve that kind of dreamy impressionism
1: I write in certain you know sound effects that I do want into the script just to give Misha kind of an idea of what I'm going for and then after the dialogue edit gets approved they go in for design and at this point I very much trust their judgment so when they send me, you know, the, the first edit, so to speak, with sound design, I listen to it and we kind of have a big conversation about what works, what doesn't, what kind of tone we're going for. And they're actually very good at adding in little details that I would never think of, but that certainly elevate the piece even more than I would have initially thought. So I'm, I'm constantly impressed by, by what Misha comes up with. There have definitely been times though, when I'm trying to explain what I want and they're like, Eli, I don't, what, what are you saying? This doesn't make any sense. I'm like, wait, no, but if I describe it this way, hold on, it's in my head. I swear it's in there. So it's definitely, you know, a learning process of how both of us communicate the best. Uh, but ultimately we definitely trust each other's judgment a lot. And whenever we have a disagreement, we talk it out and we figure it out and then it, ultimately, you know, ends up better having had that disagreement and subsequent discussion.
0: Well, I want to I go back to something you said earlier, which is that, you know, your dad helped you a lot with, I think it was what, episode six?
1: Yes. Yeah. I definitely asked him about some of the Spanish in that episode.
0: Does your family listen to the show often? Have you talked with them about it a lot?
1: Uh, yeah, I actually, um, after college, I lived in LA for a while and then I had to move back home for some family related matters. So I lived at home for a while. And during that time, the Farmerine was being developed. I actually just moved back to LA this year in March. So I had a lot of conversations with them about it. You know, I would kind of toss about story ideas and honestly, my love for storytelling really comes from my family. So they're really good people to go to, to kind of work through something. And they, they do listen. I think they're, they're behind last day checked, but Yeah, it's very cute when I get little text messages saying, we just listened to this episode and we we loved it. It was so great. Um, And actually my cousin and her daughter listen as well. So it's kind of cool how like the family's all kind of joining in on this. But also it's a little nerve wracking because, you know, as artists we tend to very much reveal ourselves in our art. So it's kind of like, oh no, what's the family going to think of this? But uh, ultimately I think it's been... Really wonderful to be able to get input from my family and then they hear the ultimate product.
0: Yeah, I, I I guess I never thought about how like insanely vulnerable it must be to to have this character that partially reflects your neural emotional state and then just to like have your family have access to that, what what is basically some distillation of a running monologue of you. I mean, certainly with like a lot of critical distance thrown in there. But like, yeah, damn, that's not really a question. I'm not very articulate at this point in the evening. I apologize.
1: It's it's quite all right. I mean, yes, it is. It's definitely nerve wracking. But I think as the years have gone on, I've gotten far more comfortable just being very clear in my communication with my family. So there's definitely been moments where I'm like, oh, no, what are they going to think? But then I'm like, you know what? No, if they can't deal with it, then they can't deal with it. It's fine. But ultimately, they they do love the show, and they they tell me what they liked, and they actually also tell me what they didn't like, which sometimes I'm like, okay, well, it's already out there, you guys. It's too late now.
0: Um, I was curious how you came upon the album leaf to do the music for the show, because I feel like the music really completes the the feel of it.
1: That was 100% Misha. We were kind of discussing what music that we wanted, what we were feeling, and they went into you know, the the free archives to try and find some things. And I kept thinking, like, oh, no, like, that's not quite it. And they're like, well, this is the song that I have been keeping in mind while I search for things. And, you know, it was Window by the Album Leaf, and both of us were like, this is amazing. We need to contact them. We need to see how much this is going to cost us to license it. Um, and so we were really fortunate to be able to get it for the show. Cause as you said, it, it really pulls everything together just tonally. And it's, it's so, it's so soothing. I love listening to it. Even like not in connection with the show. Sometimes I'll put it on. And I'm just like, oh, yep, yeah, this is, this is what I needed right now.
0: I remember shortly after um, I first started talking to Misha. They were telling me about this idea for this kind of pastoral show that they had been envisioning, and I, I, like, and this was something that was like from their imagination. And this is not at all, obviously, not at all what Farmeridian is. This is very obviously a product of of you. And I would I wouldn't necessarily always describe it as relaxing. It can be kind of spoopy sometimes. <laughs> um, but I remember very specifically we were talking about this like low conflict. Soothing adventure that that Misha was like envisioning. Did they ever talk to you about this? Probably.
1: Oh, they they definitely have, and I was like, oh, that sounds really great. I'm really on board with this idea. And then they're like, yeah, but this is what the Farmeridian is. And I was like, oh, but can't can't we have more than one show like that? <laughs> can we can we still do it?
0: I think you could get away with it. I think you could just have the Farmeridian, and then you know Eli and Misha's rest cabin and that could just be the whole like it wouldn't even have to be narrative or linear it would just be like oh this is a little brook and you have the brook going in oh and there's a fire oh and here's some bread and that's it that's just the show that's all i want it's
1: i think it's a show i'd want someone else to make just so i can enjoy it exactly like it's so funny. people like oh the the farmerdian's so soothing and wonderful and i'm like uh yes is it but I'm behind the scenes well it's funny because people say even when the farm routine gets spoopy it's still so calming and I'm like oh phew that's good and then I kind of chuckle because I know what's gonna happen next I have the show pretty much completely planned out so
0: what's what's your writing style what are, are you so it sounds like you start with the endpoints figured out and you kind of work your way through them or what's what's the path that you take to determining a season
1: um I kind of wander around for a while it actually kind of depends from season to season I definitely will have you know major things that I know that I want to happen and whether or not it should be at the end of the season in the middle of a season It, it kind of ends up sort of organically flowing And I think that's kind of a result of just how I write individual episodes because it's very much stream of consciousness. I sit down with a pen and paper and I just kind of go. And then when I transfer that to a laptop, it's nice because it's basically like my second draft already because I'm editing as I'm transcribing it. But yeah, I definitely knew exactly how I wanted the show to end. So I already, I definitely already know how it ends and I definitely knew I wanted some key things to happen in the middle. And then from there, it's just kind of letting things grow and letting it surprise me because I I never want to know perfectly what's going to happen. I want, you know, to, to set up a nice structure, but then kind of from there, figure out what's going to pop up.
0: Okay. My final question that I have written down uh, is Eli Tell me something wonderful you have learned recently about space.
1: Oh my goodness. What a question. <laughs> I oh, it's like too many things just popped up in my head. Um because I love space so much. That's that's kind of one of the defining characteristics I would say that people talk about in relation to me. I'm not sure. Uh,
0: And I think, don't you spend a lot of time at observatories? Am I making that up? I do try to
1: make it to the Griffith Observatory here in LA fairly often. Actually, one year for my birthday, I planned a scavenger hunt and made a little scavenger hunt zine for people to use when trying to find the answers. I tend to go a little too far with these things.
0: That's amazing. We should talk about scav hunts sometime. Continue.
1: Oh, I, I, I designed one this year for my birth at the Natural History Museum as well. Um, anyways, where where to begin? They recently found rings around an exoplanet, I believe, which is super nifty. Oh, um, Australia recently announced that they are going to be creating kind of like a space administration for them, which is really exciting. Yeah, I listen to a lot of planetary radio, which is one of my favorite podcasts. It's by the people um, from the Planetary Society yeah those are the things that that currently come to mind and then of course there's the neutron stars colliding that was that was big news. Tell,
0: tell me about that because I'd heard a little bit about that but I don't I don't the only thing I know about neutron stars is that like a teaspoon of them weighs like more than half of the earth or something. yeah,
1: so they're these massive stars and essentially it's it's exciting how we detected them specifically. So when the stars collided, the I guess force of that collision basically causes you know ripples and gravitational waves. So, I don't know if you remember well, a few years ago when they actually detected gravitational waves because of two black holes colliding. But that was big news. Uh, you know, that was detected by LIGO, which is, I believe it's the Laser Interferometer Gravitational Observatory. I think I might be misattributing that. But uh, recently they, they detected two neutron stars colliding by seeing the kind of shift in the gravitational waves But uh, yeah, it was really exciting. And I think NASA put out a visualization of what that would look like. And it was absolutely stunning. I could stare at that and just listen to the album leaf and I will be so calm. (laughs) But yeah, there's your uh, astronomy news for today.
0: Thank you for sharing your dope astronomy news.
1: Thank you for asking.
0: Eli, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me, David. This has been, you know, just absolutely wonderful.
0: Thank you. Likewise, you are welcome back anytime. If you are in need of some gentle encouragement, listeners, check it out. You are a deep and magnificent ocean of a person, full of beautiful depths, surprises, and treasures. I believe in you. You can do the thing. The thing that is hard is a thing that you can do. If you want to subscribe to The Far Meridian, do it to it. And then follow the show on Twitter. They are at The Far Meridian. If you liked what you heard today here, head to our website, radiodramarevival.com, and set up a sustaining monthly donation by using the PayPal link over on the right-hand side. Even a dollar a month would mean the world to us. If you want to read Juan Rulfo's magic realist novel, Pedro Paramo, you can definitely find a copy at your local library. Mine has it in English, in Spanish, and as an ebook. I haven't read it since high school, but I do remember it being very good. And now, it's time for some credits. Our theme music is Danger Digidoo by DJ Stranger Danger. You can find his music on SoundCloud. Our interview's producer is Eli McElveen, and when the lighthouse found him, he was living among a tribe of sentient cacti. They would squirt water into his mouth from great distances. It was the main game they all played. I try to do it now with a water gun, but Eli says it's just not the same. Our line producer is Matt Boudreau, and when the lighthouse found him, he was in a glorious, misty wood, of sycamores and pines that tickled the clouds it was the best possible place to wear a sweater our researchers are heather cohen and monique Boudreau. when the lighthouse found heather she was encased in a block of solid crystal on the shores of a lake made of pure honey i shattered the crystal by singing e-flat above high c and we've been friends ever since when the lighthouse found monique she was queen of an entire planet of clones But they weren't clones of her. They were clones of David Duchovny. She didn't get it either. Our executive producer is Fred Greenhound. And the lighthouse didn't find him. He found it, quivering and alone, in the heart of a frozen nebula. Don't worry, he said. I'll light your lamp. We'll find a way together. I'm your host, David Reinstrom. And this has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers welcome.
3: do the thing. You can do the thing. I believe in you.
0: This is your theme song. Don't include this part.